0: So that has always been our tendency since the fall as human beings to attempt to cover our own Mm -hmm. sinfulness. And we want to know,
1: you know, I think just as as humans, we want to um, feel in control. We want to feel like we can do something if we get Mm -hmm. off track. So I think there's um, sometimes uh, people are scared that if it's just through Christ, like, but what if I don't have the right faith? You mean there's nothing I can do? And, and so you, sure. you get kind of caught up in this idea that surely there has to be something that I can do to make sure. Sure. Or that I can make sure that it's happened. And I think when you realize, for me, when I realized that there was nothing that I truly could do mm-hmm. and that I was such a sinner mm-hmm. and that Christ had given himself for me, that weight was so much of a better weight because the weight was more of, um, a good crushing weight that as bad as I could be, Jesus loved me enough to do this versus the weight of, did I do enough? Have I done enough? I mean, Mm -hmm. I really, I miss mass. And what does that mean? And that weight was a bad weight. Like it was just a, a weight that you sometimes felt like, Surely I'll never do enough to fix that.
0: You felt like a religious weight. Yeah, mm-hmm, this weight mm-hmm. is
1: just the opposite. It's a weight, and I feel it, but it's a good one. Like, I want to feel the reality that Christ did that for me.
0: The weight of your justification yes. rests on the shoulders of Christ, Yes, and not on your shoulders. Good Absolutely. weight, right? Absolutely.
1: That's really powerful to feel, and I think mm-hmm. that you know, you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to be okay to say I'm wretched and I'm sinful. And without Christ, I will do bad things. Mm-hmm. That is not something we want to do. Most people don't want to admit that, but the freedom in admitting that is where I think my true realization of my salvation came from where the true born mm-hmm. again came yeah. from, right? Where the true change starts to happen. Cause then you realize, Oh my goodness, I can be better with Christ. Like I can mm-hmm. do things better through him And I don't have to keep doing the same things. I might, but I don't have to.
0: And that's a a big difference between what we would categorize as as a religious system versus a relationship Mm -hmm. with Christ. Whereas in a religious system, a religious mind, a religious system mindset, you don't ever really necessarily know for sure Mm -hmm. that you're God, that you belong to him, that you're saved, that you're born again. Because it's kind of like the carrot in front of the rabbit, you're constantly having something dangled in front of you and I've got to continue to do this, to attain Mm -hmm. to this assurance of salvation when the gospel teaches that we are justified freely by his grace and that we can do nothing as it says in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so the assurance of salvation is such a blessing to have as a believer in Jesus Christ, to know, as you said, there's nothing that we can do.
1: And I think the other danger of, of a works based system um, like our Catholic faith was, is I think it turns people into just complacency because when you look at that weight and you realize, I don't think that there's any way I could ever do enough Then you just say, Oh, well, I mean, but I was baptized and I'm Catholic. So I must be good. Everybody around me is saying I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. saved. And so that must be the case. And for me, what it did is it didn't push me to change anything. Mm -mm. This is who I am. I'm just like this. God knows I'm like this and he's okay with it, obviously, because he made me like this. So this is just the way I am. And it was this vicious cycle of not liking that. But what do I do about it? Because I can't really do anything. And that is gone. So that's an amazing reality of true salvation because I'm not complacent at all.
0: So today we are going to continue uh, part five of our Reformation series. I'm so appreciative of Kurt and Connie and their willingness to share their story. If you guys enjoyed each week as we have heard their story, would you thank them? So we're going to hear, that, that was kind of the last part of their story. Next week we're, we're going to have a kind of a concluding thought uh, with the introduction video. But today we're, we're going to look at Christ alone in salvation. And so I've titled the message this morning, We Preach Christ. We Preach Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning and, and we count it a high honor and privilege to gather together to, to worship you through the preaching and the hearing of your word. And God, I pray that as we worship you through your word, through the listening and the preaching of your word, I pray that you would be glorified in it. I pray that Christ would be seen and heard. And God, I pray that those that don't know you, aren't in relationship with you yet, I pray that they would surrender to the lordship of Christ here today. And those that are in relationship with you, I pray that they would feel that good weight, the weight that you've taken upon your shoulders that we don't have to carry anymore. God, we pray, God, that you would minister to us today, and I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we've covered a lot of ground in the last four weeks. We've really covered a big subject, and and I, and I understand that this was a really big subject for us to cover in South Louisiana, that we've been looking at a subject that touches all of us in some way, shape, or form. We have been connected to the Roman Catholic Church, and it has been a really, uh, I think, a good thing for us to really think deeply about our faith and think deeply about what the Bible says and maybe what we have been taught growing up all of our life and, and see how it compares. And, and if we really believe that the Bible is true and is divinely inspired, then no matter what religious system we grew up under, if it does not line up with Scripture, then we, then we move away from it. Because Scripture is the final test of truth. So we've covered a lot. In the first week, we, we looked at why was the Protestant Reformation necessary. And I, I pray that if you haven't watched any of these, and this is your first Sunday, you're really missing a lot from the first four weeks. First, from the first four weeks. So I would encourage you, go back, listen to the first week. Why was the Protestant Reformation necessary? And we looked at the fact that the church that Jesus founded on the day of Pentecost and after his ascension, that they, they had gone off from the central truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they had adopted and developed traditions and superstitions that ultimately were not biblical. And that took away from the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross. And so the Reformation was necessary. But I want to say this. That wherever Christians are, in whatever time and history that we live. In any way that we go off from the truth of scripture... Reformation is needed. Do you believe that? Anytime we as believers as an individual, as a church as a whole, or as Christians as a part of a nation or a a larger group, if we go off from Scripture as the foundations for truth in our life and in our faith and in our practice and our doctrine, there needs to be reform that takes place. And there's been more reforms other than the Protestant Reformation when false doctrine has has risen up throughout history, Christian history. Men and women have stood up and said, no, this is not what God's word says. And so I, I don't have time to go into all the reasons why the Reformation was necessary, but we covered that in week one. Week two, we looked at how scripture alone was the final authority. And these, these are the five solas, scripture alone. This is what the reformers stood on. They, they listened to Rome, they listened to the papacy, they, they listened to the church fathers and to the traditions and men like Martin Luther, and others they would go to scripture and they would say wait a minute this is not what scripture says it doesn't line up scripture doesn't teach purgatory scripture doesn't teach this idea of indulgences paying for god's grace See, scripture doesn't teach scripture doesn't teach that we are justified in any other way but through grace and faith in christ Alone, And so they stood on scripture alone. We talked about that in week two. Such an important message. And then in the third week, we talked about how it's by grace that we are saved apart from works. Grace apart from works. It's only by God's grace that we are saved. Do you believe that? and Matt Carnes, I was on vacation in Orlando, Florida, and I had my Bose noise-canceling headphones on. Estelle had her Beats headphones on, and I had my phone going. She had her phone going, and we watched Pastor Matt Carnes lay it down last week. He did an amazing job last week. He talked about faith alone for our justification, and one of the statements that stood out to me I love so much. I was at the table of the condo we were at and I stood up and I looked at Estelle and I went mouthed this guy right here I loved what he said he talked about how he looked at you and he said he said don't be so arrogant to believe that you had anything to do with your salvation and I thought how he said that but isn't that so true as I talked about in the week before Grace alone, whenever we hear truths like that, what happens is our, our inner Pharisee begins to rise up and we start to say, well, wait a minute, surely I had something to do. Surely it was me. But when you read the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2 and in many other places, you realize that it is only by God's grace and, it, and that faith is a gift from God to believe in him. So today, we're going to look at the center of the Reformation, which is Christ. So scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. And and in some way this sola that the reformers stood on and and taught that Scripture teaches is the center of the Reformation. It's the center of all of Scripture. Because who is the central figure of all of Scripture? It's Christ. From the Old Testament throughout the New Testament, it's Christ. It is by God's, it is by the grace of Christ that we are, that we are born again. And, and Christ, as we talked about last week with, with, with faith, Christ is the object of our faith. We don't place faith in our faith. We place cre- faith in who? In Christ. So today we're going to look at Christ alone for salvation. I just want to read this summary paragraph as, a, as a, a, a recap of what we've covered in this first month. Just to get a, a running start here. This is, this is what the Roman, the Roman Catholic doctrine taught and still teaches to this day. Roman Catholic doctrine teaches that through infant baptism, the guilt and corruption of original sin is eradicated. This infused grace regenerates. You're born again, they teach, through infant baptism, and it places people into the church. And once you are in the church, that state of grace is maintained through continued application of the sacraments as only administered by the church. The sacrament of penance becoming the most important because it applies the work of the cross in our daily lives because of ongoing sin. This is a summary statement, I believe, of all we've covered. That if I would summarize it, what, where the church had gone wrong is that they had taken the theology and the doctrine of Christ alone in salvation and they had developed a sacramental theology. That through the sacraments you're justified and that through the sacraments you stay stay justified. And so this sacramental theology of Rome had locked up salvation and the grace of God in the sacraments and in the church. But scripture, however, is clear. Christ alone saves. And we are saved only by his merits and it is not a combination of what Christ has done and and of what we do. That's the summary of what we looked at. I love how Stephen Wellham puts it in his book on Christ alone in salvation. He says, our Lord, precisely because he is God, the Son incarnate, in obedience to his Father's will, has paid for our sin finally, definitively, and completely. There is absolutely nothing we can add to his work. And we, in covenant union with him, become the beneficiaries of his work by faith alone because our Lord lived and died for us as our mediator and our great prophet, priest, and king. Christ's righteousness is now imputed, not infused. It's imputed to us, declared for us because of Christ's representation and his substitution. Amen? Amen. The center of the church is not the Pope. The center of the church is not Rome. The center of the church is Christ who is the head of his church. The center of the church is not the sacraments, but it's Christ. It's not the organization, it's Christ. It's not the building, but it's Christ. Christ alone in his all-sufficient work is enough for our salvation. Amen? It'd be kind of like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything that's the summary of the last four weeks jesus plus nothing equals everything if you have a jesus is my co-pilot you guys are working together bumper sticker get that as a bumper sticker or maybe get it as a t-shirt maybe the t-shirt would look like this get that as a t-shirt actually i found out when i when i was looking that up we probably can't sell those Because it's trademarked by a guy who wrote a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. But you could probably do it on your own. (laughs) Go make you a t-shirt. Make you a a bumper sticker. Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Amen? Amen. So that's what we've walked through for the last four weeks. Today, we're just going to look at the glory of Christ. We're going to look at the glory of Christ alone in salvation and his sufficient work. And there's a text I want to look at here today that if you've been in church for any length of time, this is a, a text that, Paul has written in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That is a beautiful text that that you've heard before that speaks powerfully to the work of Christ. So it's a longer section, but I want to unpack it in three different points we're going to look at here today. So would you open your Bible or would you look to the screen? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is God's holy word. I want to break down this section, this, this lengthy section here into three truths centered around the work of Christ on the cross. The first one thing we're going to look at today is that the sufficient work of Christ is foolishness to the world. The sufficient work of Christ... The work of the cross is foolishness to the world. Did you see what it said there in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1? What did the Apostle Paul say there? For the word of the cross is what? It's folly to those who are perishing. It's folly to those who are perishing. The sufficient work of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to the world. Have you ever gone on YouTube before? Who has the YouTube app? as more of you have the youtube app y'all just aren't raising your hands because you don't like it when the preacher asks you to do something in service doesn't that bother you sometimes why do they get me to raise my hand over and over again just just you know go along with it make me feel good i know more of you have the youtube app but have you ever gone on a youtube channel and you've watched people do things that are utterly ridiculous just to get views And you watch them, and is it the most mindless thing possible? And you look at the video. Joel was showing me one the other day. It had like 64 million views. And I thought, my intelligence has just been offended by watching this video. Anybody else seen videos like that on YouTube? Yeah? I know that you would never articulate this out loud. But deep in the recesses of of your heart, what comes up in your mind when you're watching a video like that, you say, what a moron. Isn't that what you say? But then you stop and you think, wait a minute, they're making tons of money. They must be onto something here. <laughs> but, but, but that's what you think. You think, what an idiot. You don't want to say that, right? What a, that's so moronic. It's, what, 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 what a moron. But do you know that word folly when it says in First Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing? That word folly comes from the Greek word moros, which is where we get our word moron from. So when the world hears this message, when the world hears Christ crucified, they look at us and they say, What morons? What morons? How moronic! Christ crucified? They believe the Bible? They believe that Jesus was a a, a son of a carpenter who became a carpenter, who lived in Nazareth, who who died a, a barbaric death on the cross? How moronic can that be? Would you really believe in that? The word of the cross is folly. Folly to those who are perishing. This is moronic. When mankind comes up with an idea to deal with sin guilt and shame they don't come up with the cross they don't come up with cross with christ crucified the world doesn't come up with with a man a jewish man from the middle east living and dying and being a substitute for the sins of humanity what does the world come up with as a way to deal with sin and guilt and shame they come up with themselves that's what the world comes up with. We create ways in which we can atone and deal with the guilt we feel because of our sin, and because of our, of our rebellion, this inherent recognition and acknowledgement that, that this guilty conscience that we, that we live with and we, we, we realize we violated the God as our creator, that sense that, that men suppress that truth, they suppress it as it says in Romans 1, but, but it's still deep at the recesses of the heart of every human being. And what do we do? We don't. The world does not go to Christ crucified because that's folly, that's foolish. We can't control it. It's out of our control. What we do is, is we, go, we go inward. The world goes inward. We say, surely I can do something. Surely I can make up for it. Humanity's wisdom is centered on self. Mankind's wisdom is focused on the answers coming from within. I've got a question for you. Do you know how to spot doctrine or a philosophy that has its origins from hell? Do you know how to spot it? I'll give you, I'll give you a, a really quick way to spot how a doctrine or a philosophy has its origin in hell. Here's how you spot it. Any doctrine, belief system, or philosophy that points people to look inward, to find the answers to their problems, is satanically motivated. Should I say it straighter? Is that clear enough? Any doctrine or belief or philosophy that points people to look inward for the answers to their guilt, to their sin, to their problems in life is satanically motivated. That's the way of the world. Listen, listen to the culture. Listen to the messages. Listen to the music. Watch the YouTube videos. Listen to the messages. The messages are all centered around your truth. Find your reality, your truth, what you believe, what works for you. People create new categories and ideas of of sexuality and and how to live this life and and what is true and real for them. And it's all about looking inward. I am determining what is right for me and I'm determining how I'm going to deal with the reality of my guilty conscience before a holy God. And, and, And if you think, if you think that we're innocent of that as a church, I'm here to tell you we're not. Evangelicals do the same thing. Do you realize that? Christians do the same thing. We can develop the same type of mindsets. You, you ever heard somebody tell you, you just, you just got to tap into your inner David? You ever heard the story of David and Goliath? I, I want you to know that that story is not about you becoming a David. That story, you, you are the children of Israel hiding behind behind the luggage, behind, behind enemy lines. You're hiding. That's who we are. Who's David? Jesus Christ. He's the one that slays the giant every time. We're the one who hides every time. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not how to help you to find your inner David so you can conquer your demons, so you can overcome. That's the same ideology of the world. The power's in you. We, we love that as Christians. The power's in you. Tap into the power. If you can only tap into the power that's in you, come to know who you really are. It's the same mindset. I, I call it this. It's the evangelical Nike movement. We love it. Just do it. Just do it. It's, it's in you. It's, that's satanic. It is not in you. It's in Christ. The sufficient work of of the cross of Christ is foolishness to the world. And if we're not careful as evangelicals, it becomes foolish to us as well because we look in, in many other ways outside, uh, uh, inside of us to fix the problems in our life whenever the only way that we can fix the problem of sin, guilt, shame, every struggle of our life, whatever it is, it's through Christ and his sufficient work on the cross. We take Philippians 4.13 and we turn it into idolatry. I can do what all things through Him who strengthens me. And what we do is we just put a blanket statement on that scripture, and we just say, "Hey, whatever it is that I want to do, I can do all things." I, I've, I've even some seen some people cut off the, the last half half of that of that verse in verse thirteen. Do you know what the context of Philippians four thirteen is? It's contentment. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. If I'm abounding. Or I'm a basing. If I have a lot or have little, I have learned in whatever state I am to be, I, that I can be content for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But we take that scripture and we make it mean that I can, I can, hey, with Christ in me, I can win the Super Bowl. With Christ in me, I can become a professional athlete. I'm here to tell you, most of you here are not going to become professional athletes. With Christ in me, I can do anything. No, 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 that, 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 that's, that's, really, that's really not the point of that scripture. This is worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom ignores Christ. Worldly wisdom doesn't need Christ. Worldly wisdom thinks I can do this alone. Godly wisdom, the wisdom the world wants nothing to do with, says this quit looking down and start setting your gaze upon Christ. Quit looking here, but look up. Do you believe that? The sufficient work of Christ on the cross has nothing to do with anything we can accomplish. It has everything to do with what he has already accomplished. The sufficient work of Christ on the cross is foolishness to sinful man because sinful man doesn't believe they need help. This is why when we go to the world and the world hears our message, that all men, as it says in Romans 3, are guilty. That no one does good, no, not one. No one seeks after God, no one. And and, and Scripture tells us that we're all guilty. And we say that the way to be free from guilt and the judgment that we all deserve is to place your faith in the sufficient work of Christ on the cross to be your substitute. The world looks at that and says, no, I don't want it. Why? Because it starts from the position of telling us that we're guilty. And we don't want to be accountable for anything. This is why the cross of Christ is foolishness. The foundation of the cross of Christ, hear me, the foundation of the cross of Christ has its foundation, the guilt of humanity. Some people say the cross of Christ has as its foundation the love of God. And yes, it it is the love of God that Christ died on the cross. But but presupposed in this foundation of the cross is the guilt of man. Because God would not have to have sent his only son if man had not been sinful and in need of a savior. This is why the world looks at the cross and says, foolishness. But what do we say? We say the cross of Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. It is sufficient. The sufficient work of the Christ is, uh, is foolishness to the world. Secondly, here today, the sufficient work of Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Look, at, look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly, through the moronic message of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But what do we do? We preach Christ crucified. Jews want signs. Greeks want wisdom. What do we do? Just keep preaching. That foolish, moronic message of Christ crucified on the cross. Jews want signs. Jews want signs. People want signs. People want signs. What does that mean? I'm going to explain that to you. What People want signs. People want wisdom. Jews seek signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But what do we do? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, the wisdom of God. What were the signs that the Jews were seeking of that Paul was referencing here? What were the signs they were seeking? They weren't seeking the signs that Jesus brought. How did Jesus come? How did Jesus, when he walked the earth, when he came and he walked the earth, how did he come? Well, Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 3 tell us. For he grew up uh, before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was esteemed and we, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus did not come the way the Jews wanted their Messiah to come. Listen, this is so important to follow here. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He took five loaves and two fishes and he multiplied it to feed over 5,000 men, not including women and children. Ten to 12,000 people were fed from his multiplication power when he blessed the loaves and the fishes. He did all of these miracles. They still crucified the Lord of glory because he was not the Messiah they were looking for. What was the sign they were looking for? They wanted another Moses to deliver them from slavery. They wanted another David to deliver them from the giant. And so when Jesus came, he had no form. He had no majesty. He was a humble servant. He came not as they were expecting. And so what did they do in spite of the signs? They rejected Christ. Some of us here today, we believe, we believe that if if we had signs and wonders and miracles, that people would believe. That's what we think. Some people think that. If we had signs and wonders and miracles like Jesus did, people would believe. I have one question for you. What did they do to Jesus when he performed signs and wonders and miracles? what did they do? They arrested him and they killed him. Did some believe because of the signs and wonders and miracles? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see it throughout the Gospels. But what ultimately happened was that the depravity of man is so deep that it doesn't matter how many signs you perform, how many miracles you work, men will reject Christ crucified. Did you notice what the text says there in 1 Corinthians 1? Jews demand signs, but we do what? We preach Christ. It's, it's it's, it's counterintuitive. I know, we think if we could just have the miracles, people would be saved. They would believe, they would believe if they could just see the sick healed. Does God heal? Absolutely, we pray for healing. But we believe that if they could just be healed, if they could just see the miracles, then they would believe. But Scripture doesn't show us that. Scripture shows us that in spite of the miracles, they still crucified Christ. In spite of the miracles. Look, Jesus was God in the flesh. And he walked the earth and he spoke as no man ever spoke. And they still rejected him. They still rejected him. The apostles, they walked in miracles. What happened to them? They were martyred. This, I, I, I know this is hard. I'm stretching your thinking for a second. But I want us to rethink the way in which we think the gospel is going to be accomplished. The gospel is not going to be accomplished by worldly wisdom. That, that's the wisdom of the world. We think that if we can have these miracles and these signs and wonders, it's finally going to break into the culture. What we don't realize is that, is that the culture is darker than we think. The culture is more depraved than we think. The world is more dark than we think. And what we think will be the final proof for the unbeliever, to believe. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? Just preach Christ crucified, that moronic message. Just preach that moronic message of Christ crucified. And when you preach that message, I'm going to save people. Amen? Jews demand signs. What does it say next? It says, the Greek seeks wisdom. What does that mean? It means that there are people, the Greeks of that day, they sought higher knowledge and, and philosophy. They wanted to know the deep things of life. So you have people in this world, they're looking for the signs. Prove God, prove yourself to me, then I'll believe. And then you've got the Greeks, people like the Greeks, they want something new. They want new knowledge, deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding, a higher plane. And God, if, if you can prove yourself to me logically, then I'll believe you. Jews seek signs. Greeks seek wisdom. Look at Acts 17. The Apostle Paul preached to, to some Greeks in Athens. He says, that, it says this, some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the, Are, the, Are, the Areopagus, which is where they would discuss Deeper things, they would come and discuss higher knowledge. And they said, may we know, may we know this new teaching that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's the way of the world you got to prove, it's got to be new, higher knowledge, deeper knowledge. Either I want the sign or you've got to intellectually prove it to me that Jesus is the way. And this is why those who, go, who, who, are, who are going for the intellectual proof, the apologetic of Christ, they ultimately reject because Roman crucifixion was base. It was barbaric. For the Greek mind, a king that would come to save his people would never accomplish that through crucifixion. Deep philosophical thinking can help people make progress. Yes, I'm not against apologetics of proving the faith. It's important that we have those apologetics. But deep philosophical thinking will very often miss the cross completely. Because the cross is too simple. It's too base. It's too barbaric. Can it really just be that? That the creator of the universe sent his son to die on the cross for our sins? Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we do what? We preach that moronic message of Christ crucified. The Jews were seeking after signs, but the signs Jesus gave them were not the ones they were looking for. The Greeks were looking for higher knowledge, for something new. The message of a man from Nazareth dying a grisly death on a Roman cross was not the wisdom they were looking for. But look back to verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 1. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Those seeking signs might miss it. Those looking for deeper knowledge or or new philosophies might miss it. But for those who have received Christ, the cross is not moronic. It's not folly. It's not foolishness. The cross is not weakness for those who have received Christ. The cross is not a failure for those who have received Christ. The cross is wisdom and it is power. When the world looks at you as a believer and they say, why do you do what you do? How do you live how you live? Why do you follow the Bible? Why do you follow after Christ? You can say, because Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. I've been changed. I've been transformed. I don't know about higher knowledge and higher wisdom. And and I don't know know about the signs and and, and how all this takes place. But all I know is, is that when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Christ took my place, supernaturally I was born again. And now through the power of the cross, I've been transformed. Is that you here today? Romans 116 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. It's a temptation for us to be ashamed of the gospel. Is it not? When the world looks at our message and they call it folly. But if we're in Christ, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews, and then to the Greeks. What does that mean? That means the ones seeking signs, they can be saved. It means the ones seeking deeper wisdom and knowledge, they can be saved. How? the cross crucified through the preaching of the gospel of jesus christ do you believe that here today we preach christ crucified because christ crucified is the way that god has chosen to save sign seekers and deep thinkers that's why we preach christ crucified it's the way that he's chosen to save people it doesn't make sense to our human thinking to our earthly wisdom we would think god has got to be something else it's got to be deeper it's got to be more powerful It can't just be the message of the cross. It can't just be the message that tells the sinner that they're guilty. And that Christ absorbed the wrath of God on their behalf. It's got to be something else. The Bible says over and over again, it's Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Because Christ crucified is the way that God has chosen to save sign seekers and deep thinkers. Amen? You know what I think happens often? that people will spend their life looking for signs. They'll spend their life trying to be convinced intellectually. And you know what happens? God gets a hold of them through a simple gospel message. And all they're chasing and all they're wondering, God, if you could just prove yourself, if I could just see this or that or understand this or that. And their next door neighbor, you or you, shows them, the, shows them the love of Christ, tells them about Jesus, and they're born again. They're born again. It's not the way we would do it, but it's the way God has ordained it. I was at Target. What's today? Sunday, Saturday, Friday, Friday. Friday, Target maybe. I was going to get this popcorn, caramel popcorn. Have you ever heard of Popcornopolis? It's the best caramel popcorn in the entire world. This is nothing to do with the story I'm going to tell, but that's telling you why I was at Target. Oh, my goodness. Every bite is pure sugar. You ever get caramel popcorn and you think, they didn't leave it in long enough. Hey, put that back in the batch and get that going better. Popcorn, Popcornopolis is $5. It's a little container. Um, maybe I'll get some royalties. I know, my, my, this video is not going to go viral, so I'm not, it's not going to happen. I was at Target, and uh, I, saw this, I saw this man that I used to work with. I worked at an alarm company for nine years uh, when Niselle and I were first married. And I just was so touched with how God does his work. So I had a conversation with this guy at a McDonald's parking lot. And this would have been, this would have been, let see, 2021. It would have been probably 20, 2005 or 6, 7, maybe something like that. So a long time ago, I had a conversation with him, and he was a deep thinker. He considered himself an atheist when I talked to him. And I saw him at Target, and we both had a little belly like this, and he used to be all fit and everything, and I looked at him, and I looked down, and he looked at me, and we kind of chuckled, and uh, so we were walking out in the parking lot, and he, he had him and his uh, fiance had their first child, and he has a two-year-old, so we were chatting, and we were just talking about where we are in life, and how we served, me and Stella and I just got back from Disney, we survived Disney, barely survived Disney. We had Lincoln throwing up at Disney, by the way, in line. COVID era, if you want to get first in line, just have your kid throw up. It'll work for you. (laughs) So I'm discussing, I told him about that whole story. We're we're, we're talking. We go to say goodbye. We leave. He's walking away from me. He stops. He says, Ben, come back. I I said, yeah, man. He said, I want you to know I have never forgotten our conversation about God. He said, I think about it on a regular basis. This is years ago, years ago. And he hasn't seen a sign. He was looking for a sign. He was looking for an intellectual argument for God. And I remember, I tried to help him to understand this. There's no amount of intellectual argument for God that I can give you that will prove beyond a reasonable doubt for God for you. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And that seed of the word of God is still working in that guy's heart. And something about having a child, you start thinking deeply about life. And I'm believing that that brother is going to come and he's he's going to be born again. That's how it works. The seeds that you plant, we think if we could just have all the signs, if we could just have all the higher knowledge, we could just figure it all out, then people would believe. But people don't want to believe. Romans says that people don't seek after God in truth. God's the one who seeks after them. He sought after them through Jesus Christ. And he seeks after them when we preach this moronic message to them of Christ crucified. Just when you think, I've got them convinced. I've got to tell them the story of what God did. That is not what saves people. God can use it. But it is the simple message of the cross of Christ. When cross absorbed the wrath of Christ that we deserved, the lashes that were put on his back, the crown of thorns that were placed on his head were for me. It's that message that the crowns of thorns were for my friend that I talked to at Target and when I talked to him a decade ago at McDonald's, those crown, that crown of thorns pressed into the skull of Christ was my crown, was my punishment, was what I deserved. It's that message that God has chosen to save. It's Christ alone. It's His sufficient work. And this is the message that the reformers stood on. It's not, it's not that message plus Roman dogma. It's not that message plus man-made tradition of the church fathers. It's not that message plus the sacraments or purgatory or any of those other things. It is that sufficient message of Christ crucified on the cross that's what he has chosen to save so we preach Christ crucified because Christ crucified is the way that god has chosen to save and lastly today the sufficient work of christ is foolishness it's sufficient even though people think it's foolish but this is, thirdly here today the sufficient work of christ is our only boast Look back at the text, 1 Corinthians 1. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. The Greeks seek wisdom, they're not getting it from us. (laughs) Isn't that so compelling? Think about it. I did not see that in the moment of my study, but think how compelling that is. What did we just hear? The people want wisdom. What does Paul say here? Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. If you think you can convince people because of your great wisdom that Jesus is real and he raised from the dead, we're not wise people here. We're from down the bayou. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why is it not signs and why is it not wisdom? So no human being can boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became just wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that the one who boasts boasts in the the Lord. Have you ever listened to an athlete after a, a victorious event that they've had? Maybe they've won a game or they've won the Super Bowl or something and they're They're chatting about it. And most people, when you you get there, you know, you get the Super Bowl winner, and he gets interviewed, and the dads get looked over, and the moms, thank you, Mom, appreciate it. It's because of you, right? And they're thanking people, right? That's normal. That's what you want to see. You want to see gratitude. You want to see, you don't want to see boasting. Yeah, I did it. It was me. I'm pretty good. (laughs) My teammates should be thankful I'm on their team. I watched this interview, and many of you won't even know this person. Some of you will, because he's a golfer. Yeah, I, mean, I watch golf more than any other sport. And so there's a golfer, his name is Brooks Kepka. Who's heard of Brooks Kepka? like one, two, three, four, five, okay, probably less than 20. Brooks Kepka. Who's heard of Drew Brees? Right, exactly. <laughs> Bruce uh was playing in what's called a major golf tournament, okay? So what a major is is that the, the, the players play about 28 to 30 um, tournaments per year, regular tournaments. But four of those tournaments are considered majors. They're the premier of the premier. Only the top 50 in the world rankings get to play in this tournament. A, nor, a normal tournament has about 120, 130 players. In a major, the top 50 get to get in. Uh, and so this is a very, these are exclusive tournaments that you get to play in. And Brooks Kepka is a really good golfer. And it seems that in the major golf tournaments, the dude just shows up. He just shows up. He always has a good round. And so the first round of the U.S. Open, he shot a 69, 300 par, which is really good for a U.S. Open. And they interviewed Brooks. They said, Brooks, it's amazing. You had such a good round. Brooks Kepka. he said this. It's a major, I'm going to show up. It's a major, I'm going to show up. It's confidence, but it feels icky, doesn't it? You're just like, it's a major, I'm going to show up. The dude's got a caddy who tells him all his yardages from the, his spot to the hole. He's got a caddy who carries his bag the whole time, probably weighs 75 to 100 pounds. He has to walk five miles carrying the guy's bag wherever he goes. And Mr. Muscle Man, Brooks Kepka gets up and says, oh yeah, it's a major, I show up. Doesn't it make you feel icky, right? That's how it should make us feel when we boast in anything but Christ alone. It should feel icky when, when we place our trust. We, we, we should feel like, oh, that's just not right. It has to be the finished work of Christ that we boast in. All only boasts is in Christ alone. We're not wise enough. We're not powerful enough. I don't have biceps like Brooks Kepka. We're not of earthly noble birth. We're foolish according to the world. We're weak according to the world. We're low and despised. Earthly wisdom cannot save us. Human philosophy comes up empty every time. Man-made traditions and superstitions will not save. The Lord does not need human wisdom to supplement his work on the cross. I know scripture says that we're justified by grace apart from works. Some may say, but what's wrong with praying to Mary just to make sure? Or saying a few extra rosaries. Or confessing to a priest to forgive us just to make sure. Or fill in the blank. Our boast is only in the cross of Christ. Most of, most of us here today would say this. I would never call the work of the cross foolishness. I would never call it foolish. Would you agree with that? I would never call the work of the cross foolish. I would call it sufficient for salvation and sanctification. But when we seek to add to the all-sufficient work of Christ on the cross, we are joining the world in their declaration that the sacrifice of cross of Christ on the cross is foolishness. When we seek to add to Christ's all-sufficient work, well, that's what we're declaring. We're joining the world in declaring the cross is not enough. I have two quotes, and then we're going to close in prayer. I want to quote the Apostle Paul first. Here's the Apostle Paul on this subject, Philippians 3. Paul talks about himself here. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, here's my case. I can boast in myself. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Where's his boast at, though? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let the one who boasts boast in what? In the Lord. We quoted the Apostle Paul. Now I've been in my sermon, quoting Connie Sorois. Apostle Paul and Connie Sarois. Connie's in great company here. I love this. Did you hear the video at the beginning of my message? In case you missed it, this is what Connie said. As humans, we want to feel in control. Sometimes people are scared that if it's just through Christ, what if I have the wrong faith? You get caught up in this idea that surely there's something I can do to make sure. Did I do enough? What if I miss mass? But when I realized that I was such a sinner and that Christ gave himself for me and as bad as I could be, Jesus loved me enough to save me. Amen. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our only boast is in Christ alone and his sufficient work on the cross. Thank you, Lord. I want us to end in prayer here today. So I want to do two things here today. I want to pray for all the needs that you may have and you want prayer for. And in a a moment, don't move yet, prayer counselors, but in a moment I'm going to ask their prayer counselors to go into their spots in the middle aisle and in this front section here. And whatever needs you have, you can come and receive prayer. And they will pray with you gladly and walk through what it is that you need prayer for. But also, I believe that there are people here today, this is the fifth week that we have looked at the sufficient work of Christ on the cross over and over and over again, five straight weeks. And I believe there are people here today that you need to confess Christ today. You need to to, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You recognize your sinful condition. You have heard the gospel over and over and over again in different ways, from different voices. And now's the time. Now's your moment. You recognize your sinfulness. You recognize that Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for your salvation. And I'm going to, when, when these prayer counselors come down, wherever they are, you can go to one of these prayer counselors and you can tell them, hey, I'm here today to receive the sufficient work of Christ for my sins. And they're going to pray with you. And prayer, and prayer counselors, when you're done praying with them, whoever confesses Christ here today, I would ask that you you take them, walk with them after you're done, to the welcome desk out front in the foyer. And, and tell them that hey, I have somebody just got born again here today and they have some books that we want to give them so that's what we're going to do would you stand at your feet with me so I, I want to talk to you here today if you've never confessed Christ today's your day confess Christ be born again walk away from the ways of the world walk away from human earthly wisdom confess Christ as your savior today Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't wait for signs or for wisdom, for human wisdom. Listen to this message of Christ crucified and realize that that cross was your cross and receive Christ today. Would you do that? If I get the prayer counselors to go in their positions in the the middle aisle and up front, if you can make your way into your spots, I want those two groups of people, whether you're getting born again today, you want to confess Christ or whatever your needs are, Whatever your needs are, you can come and receive prayer. So if you can make your way down. God, you're so good to us. We thank you, Lord, for what we heard today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We thank you for your sufficient work on the cross. Your Sanctifying your saving work, God. I pray that our boast would never be in anything else but Christ. I thank you for these last five weeks that we've looked at the, the, the depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power to accomplish all that you've intended it to accomplish. God, I pray that we have been changed by it, and as we conclude next week. As we look at the glory of God in all things, God, I pray that we would leave with a sense of awe of what you've done and what you've accomplished. And I pray for those who may have confessed Christ today. I thank you for the beautiful thing that takes place whenever we're born again. I just pray, God, that they would find their place in the, in the body of Christ and they would go public through water baptism. And we thank you for what you're doing here at Living Word Church. God, our dependence and our trust is in you. God, I pray you bless your people as we leave today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.